Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we are going to fill in the cracks on some of the other trades at the deadline, finally put a bow on all of the prospects moved at the deadline. I know we talked about all the blockbusters, but there's some decent prospects that were moved that I think got overlooked or you know don't get as much time in the sunlight or the spotlight uh, when you are focused on the Juan Soto moves and the even Tyler Malley type of trades, Luis Castillo, Frankie Montes. There were so many big deals that it's easy to miss the Ben Browns of the world that came over in that David Robertson deal from the Phillies. I know I talked a little bit about him in the previous episode, but just an example there. I want to talk about the two prospects that came over from Houston to Boston in the Christian Vasquez deal. I want to talk about Nick Frasso, who was sent over from the Blue Jays over to the Dodgers, and I think they specifically identified him for a couple reasons. So I'm going to fill in the cracks on some of the prospects that I feel like we did not touch on in the last couple episodes, focusing more on the blockbusters with Jack. And also, I want to highlight that article one more time that we have at JustBaseball.com which is the top 30 prospects moved at the deadline. I'm going to be mentioning each of those guys that maybe we didn't touch on. I'm not going to spend time on the blockbuster uh, pieces. Again, I'm going to focus more on the guys that made that top 30 list that may have been a bit more under the radar, and I'm going to tell you why You know they kind of made that top 30 list. And then speaking of lists, Baseball America updated their top 100 prospect list, so I want to wrap up talking a bit about that on the second half of this podcast as well. Uh, Baseball America has done a phenomenal job this year at frequently updating their top 100s, their top 30s, kind of everything. They have been all over it, and it's been pretty cool to see. Uh, This was probably one of the more wild top 100 updates that we've seen from Baseball America, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it more in just a disruptive way. They are not really holding back with some of the stronger opinions that they have here, and I'm excited to kind of highlight it all. Of course, I don't want to give away their entire top 100 as this is uh, paywall content, and I do really believe that Baseball America is worth the price of subscription, especially if you're a prospect person, which if you're listening to this podcast, I would assume that you are. Uh, but I'm going to highlight some of the standouts and some of the big, uh, I guess, rankings that stood out to me uh, as you go through this, because the, right from the, the get go, right from one and two, it's pretty wild and different and fun. And I'm excited to discuss that. But let's start first with uh, the prospects that I believe deserve a little bit more love and attention that were moved at the deadline and could be very good gets for each of the acquiring teams. I'll start with the two guys heading over to Boston from Houston, which is Emmanuel Valdez as well as Willier Abreu. And Emmanuel Valdez checked in at 18. I know we briefly touched on him on these guys in some previous episodes, but I want to give them a little bit more, you know, airtime here. Valdez is the headliner of the two. I don't know if you can really call one a headliner because they're both very solid and similar types of prospects, Valdez and Willier Abreu. I'll start with Valdez because he's closer to the big leagues and and could even see big league action at some point this year with the Red Sox if he continues hitting. And I'm a little bit more intrigued by him for better and for worse because he's not as good of an athlete as Abreu, but he is a very good hitter and has some power. You can't deny it. The numbers have been very good for Emmanuel Valdez, who has put on some strength over the last year or so. Saw a power breakout last season in high A for the Astros, where he hit 26 home runs in 
just about 100 games, which is obviously quite good. He was a really aggressive hitter in previous years and kind of toned it down, much more patient, walking a lot more now. And last year was somewhat of that breakout for him in that regard as well. Strikeout rate has remained in the in the low 20%, and even this year is even lower than that. All good stuff when you're looking at somebody like Valdez. A question of where he's going to play defensively. They've played him in the corners, the Astros did before moving him, meaning corner outfield and corner infield. A little bit of second base as well. He's not a great runner by any means, but I think you could put him at second base and he could be a bat first second baseman there. The bat also seems to profile enough at third base as well. I don't think he's going to be great at any spot, but he is going to be passable at multiple spots, which hedges some of the concern there, right? It's better to be average or slightly below average at three spots than you know, maybe bad at one spot. Uh, we'll talk about the numbers this year real quick too before I get into some of the advanced stuff on Valdez. He has struck out just 19.5% of the time this year, walking 12% of the time. This is between double and triple A, by the way. 321, 406, 603 slash line. That's good for a 1010 OPS, which is crazy, and a 150 WRC+. plus. He's small and compact. He stays short to the ball. He's 5'9", 190 pounds. Really has a big leg kick, but he repeats everything well. And even though he's not fast, he is a good athlete. You know, and there's a big difference there. There's some hitters that do yoga. I don't know if Emmanuel Valdez does yoga, but he has the kind of adaptable and adjustable lower half and body control of, of those kinds of guys. So even if you're not a quick, fast runner, you can still be an, an athletic hitter. And I think Valdez is exactly that. His lower half is very incorporated into the swing, but also under control. And we've seen now above average exit velos, a 103.6 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo, which is well above average there. Uh, the contact rates are pretty solid, about 80% zone contact. And he's also just much, much improved in the chase rate department. He was closer to 30% chase rate last year, now closer to 24% in zone whiff has been cut down as well. He's got power, obviously. The numbers are there. What really impresses me, though, is the ability to go foul pole to foul pole. This is a guy that's left the yard plenty of times opposite field, and what's really impressive is that he can almost hit the ball out of the catcher's glove. He's got crazy bat speed, and what I like about the quick bat is that He's comfortable letting the ball travel and even almost inside outing one that'll just carry off of the wall with the green monster because he's hit balls 383, 90 opposite field, just flicking them the other way. I think he can play pepper with the green monster in left, and he's definitely got the power to even leave the yard in a more cavernous right field. So there's definitely 20 plus home run potential here. I think he's going to walk a good amount as well, get on base at a decent clip, and the bat to ball is solid enough. I I'm very interested. I think this is a big league bat and either a bat first, second baseman, or a guy that you can kind of move all over but you're really prioritizing the bat in the lineup. Still 23 years old. I'd put the grades across the board of a 50-hit tool, probably 50 game power, 50 raw power. It's really 50s across the board until you get to speed, which is probably below average. And then the fielding, depending on where he finds a home, is still probably below average. And that's what really holds him back from being a higher-profile prospect. I still think he is incredibly underrated relative to what he's already shown production-wise and what his swing looks like and just all of the improvements that we've seen across the board from the approach to the swing and everything in between. So without a doubt, a name to watch. Obviously, the 
Red Sox have a bit of a crowded infield situation right now, but we don't know what the future holds with Xander Bogarts, or I know Story's arm has been a bit iffy, but if, if the plan is to move Story to short, then maybe that's a spot at second base where Valdez could try to vie for some at-bats, or they try to get him some run in the outfield, though he has only played about 14 games in left this year. Uh, that was between AA and AAA with the Astros, so it'll be interesting to see how they decide to handle him. But no doubt a quality bat that I think you're really excited to add to the system, especially for the Red Sox who could use some more exciting left-handed bats in their system. I love Tristan Casas. I love Marcelo Mayer. But I would like to see a few left-handed swinging outfield bats. And they get maybe one in Valdez and definitely one with Willier Abreu, another 23-year-old, a few months younger, coming over from that Astro system as well who is enjoying a career year so far this year. I mean, he was very good, I will say, last year in high A, where the numbers were quite similar, but I'll take what he has done this year even more so at a higher level. Last year in high A, 268, 363, 495 slash line, 30% K rate, 11% walk rate. He hit 16 homers and swiped 10 bags. But there's a bunch of things that have really improved this year, and I'll get into each of those things. But first, here's his numbers on this season as well. Now, at the AA level for Abreu, he has been even better. He is slashing 248, 404, 452. In terms of the counting stats, 15 home runs, 24 stolen bases. Strikeout rate has dropped a bit to 26.3%. Walk rate has jumped to 20 that's a 126 WRC plus 856 OPS. A lot of numbers. Again, I'm sorry, but always love to set the stage and kind of help paint the picture of what direction uh, these guys are heading in and how the advanced data and also just what they look like kind of backs that up. And so Abreu clearly walk rate nearly doubles. He is much more patient this year. And even the strikeout rate dropping by 3% when going from high A to double A is, is extremely encouraging. If, if the strikeout rate remains stagnant, at 29.9%, which is what he's at. I'd still say it was encouraging because he's walking way more and the production is matched at a much higher level of competition. Abreu is definitely a better athlete than Valdez when it comes to just sheer speed. And I really think this guy could play center if you need him to. Uh, They're probably, the Red Sox are going to give him plenty of looks in center field. So far, he's made a couple of starts for them in center and one in right and two in left. So they've tried him in all three spots already. I'm sure he'll play a little bit all over so that they can get reps for everybody because uh, there are several guys that I'm sure they want to get center field reps to. But there's definitely a concerted effort or a concerted effort to keep this guy in center field and getting reps there until he proves that he can't play there. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. I think he can be an average defender there with his speed and and with his arm. It's average. His routes are pretty good. He should be able to stick there and be decent at the very worst. He could be a plus defender in either corner as well. Uh, but I think the bat is more valuable uh, up the middle there. And, and I would like to see him stay there. And I think he can. Abreu's got some exciting power, and I think there's even more power in the tank than the 15 home runs we've seen in 89 games. 90th percentile exit velo of 105 miles per hour. That's some of the better figures in the organization. Also, the chase rate is minuscule, which is really important for a guy like him. Again, he's somebody that's going to walk a lot and strike out a lot. Just due to some of the length in his swing, there's a little bit of in-zone whiff, uh, which is okay. You can get by, you can circumvent in-zone whiff with two things, not chasing, which he's not doing, and high-level impact, which he is clearly doing. So those are two things that really help. 
He doesn't hit the ball on the ground that much. He's more of a guy that's looking to lift and do damage. So good swing decisions, uh, good quality of contact. Of course, there's going to be some frustration with the zone whiff at times. It's not egregiously bad. It's not like brutal, brutal. So there's a little bit more pressure to not miss those mistakes. That's fine. I, I like the profile here for this second piece in a rental catcher deal. And with the speed also becoming more of a factor in his game, I think there's a lot to like there as well. This is a dude that was 10 for 21 last year in high A on stolen bases. And this year so far is 24 of 26 on stolen base attempts at the double A level. Clearly has learned a bit more on in regards to getting good jumps uh, and just picking the right spots to run. This is somebody that could easily be a 15 to 20 stolen base guy and a 20 plus home run guy. There's 20, 20 potential here with the ability to play all three outfield spots. I'm very interested to see how the zone whiff progresses if that gets worse and if it starts to become more of an issue against higher induced vertical break fastballs and higher spin higher speed fastballs at the higher levels then maybe that's an issue but if he's putting up the numbers like he is in double a and again the walk rate has risen strikeout rate has dropped i think those are two things that paint a very solid picture for what he is really regarded as right because i'm talking about guys that we feel like we're a bit higher on at just baseball and we put Emmanuel Valdez at 18th in our top 30 prospects moved to the deadline. And then we had William Abreu at 21. So for reference, Steve Hajar was at 20 19th was Christian and Carnacion strand. So they sandwich those two guys that gives you a little bit of idea of where they stack up They're They're pretty underrated. And I think these could be two pieces, two big league pieces potentially for the Red Sox, which is a good get for the catcher that they decided to move in Christian Vasquez, who's only going to be an Astro, presumably, for a couple months. I want to give Ben Brown a little bit more airtime on the in the Cubs system, excuse me, after the start that he just had his first outing as a member of the Cubs organization. Also, he was a guy that ranked right at the 14 spot in our top 30 prospects moved at the deadline. Of, of course, that article is linked in the description of this episode as well. But Brown could not have been much better in his in his first outing. I mean, what a first impression to make uh, on this organization here. And it was also his first double-A start, which is important as well. Right? This was after the trade. The Cubs said, hey, we're... I think this guy fits better in at double A. He's ready to go there. So after only pitching at the high A level for the Philadelphia Phillies, he goes straight to double with the Cubs and looked dynamite. Five innings, four hits, one earned run, two walks, and nine strikeouts, which, again, that's what we're really starting to see more from this 22-year-old is a ton of swing and miss. He's 6'6", 220, and he repeats his mechanics pretty darn well. He's only walking about 8% of batters this year, striking out 36% of batters. And he was a diamond in the rough, overslot high school, late flyer guy way back in, I believe, 2017. And just because of the disruptive nature of the last couple years, he had Tommy John surgery, and then 2020 season was canceled. We've barely seen Ben Brown. So he's had a lot of time to work on things, a lot of time to grow physically, still just 22 years old. He's done both, and he looks fantastic. And uh, this is somebody that really took advantage of his time away to hone in on his craft. Fastball sits at 95 to 97, can even grab an 8. Has a hard slider that is a plus pitch at the 84 to 87 mile per hour range. 
tunnels really well off of his fastball. And then he'll mix in a curveball at times, which is a little bit further behind and will blend with the slider a bit, but does give him a third look. He does need a bit more of a distinctive third look. I don't know if that's more of a different shape to his curveball. That's probably something that we'll see him work on in the offseason. It's maybe more of a vertical breaking curveball at a bit more of a separate speed, more in the low 80s or upper 70s to give that third speed and third look. But even with the fastball and the life that it has right now at about 17 inches of induced vertical break and the wipeout slider in the upper 80s to even touching 90 with late sharp bite. And again, the pitches tunnel really well. He's going to be able to dominate with those two pitches as long as he throws strikes. And that was the big concern, right? We didn't know what the command was going to look like for Brown. It's looked a lot better so far this season, and it seems to be getting better as the year goes on. So there is plenty to like with Ben Brown. What a get for one reliever here. Again, they traded David Robertson for him. Hayden Wisniewski also coming over in that trade for Scott Efros. We talked about that a little bit on the last episode. Wesneski had a disastrous first outing in AAA with the Iowa Cubs. Wouldn't put too much stock into it. It happens. I think he'll be fine. Uh, still a fantastic get for them. Uh, but I would say that Ben Brown's going to rank a little bit higher in the Cubs updated top prospect list for us at Just Baseball than uh, some people may think. And that's because Ben Brown has a lot of the ingredients going for him. And a lot of those ingredients that he has are very similar to what Nick Frasso, new right-handed pitching prospect in the Dodgers organization, has going for him, which is a big-bodied dude at six foot five. I believe he's listed at 200 pounds, so slightly smaller, but looks very imposing on the mound. 23 years old, came over in the Mitch White trade from the Blue Jays. A fourth-round pick in 2020's COVID-shortened draft, 106th overall, and I mean, we just haven't seen much of him because of 2020 season being canceled, followed by, unfortunately, a UCL repair that was needed for Frasso. So this was our first real look at him in 2022. He only threw five innings in 2021, and he's being slowly worked back into things. He's starting games, but really going in two, three-inning spurts. And prior to the move or being traded, he had thrown about 36 and two-thirds innings across 10 starts. And was dynamite. I mean, no one was touching him between low A and high A. 36 and two-thirds, 57 Ks, 10 walks. It's a 0.74 ERA to go with that as well. What's really encouraging is, is the lack of walks because this is a dude with, again, really big, long, really long levers and also, you know, just crazy stuff that you'd expect him to not pound the strike zone maybe as much as he has. But the fastball sits 96 to 98 can reach triple digits. The slider is devastating. And he's already mixing in a changeup around 15% of the time. I'm really shocked that the Blue Jays traded Nick Frasso. And I know Mitch White's a good get for them. And I think he's somebody that's going to help them try to make that postseason push and has years of control. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that they're very aware that they are trying to win now. And you're also getting still a starting pitcher or at the very worst, a swingman with years of control. But man, you were selling on Nick Frasso before his value was really going to rise here. I mean, the helium seemed to be just ready. It seemed to be loaded up in the balloon. The balloon's taken off, and now he's in the perfect organization to really help ignite everything and just get him going and ascending in the right direction. Clearly, things were working for him. And when you're already mixing in a changeup with his profile, I'm really encouraged by that and showing some feel for the changeup overall. The fastball slider is good enough to probably be in double A and dominate with those two pitches, or at least be very effective with those two pitches. Yes, he's 23 years old, and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, maybe the 
the Blue Jays were a bit more willing to make this move because he's older, but man, I don't really care. <laughs> he can get up at 25 years old and still be dynamite, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. Upper 90s fastball, mid-80s slider with some devastating break to it from a really explosive, explosive arm. That His arm speed's quick. His levers are, are really long, again, and he has got plenty of extension. Ball gets on you very, very quick. This is going to be a top 100 prospect, I think. I really think Nick Frasso could be a top 100 prospect if he can stay healthy. And that's why this is as good of a get, I think, of any team at the deadline in terms of just what you gave up versus what you have coming in here prospect-wise. Great acquisition by the Dodgers, and I'm sure they will help him unlock even more as he continues to mature and get innings under his belt. One last arm I want to highlight that I think was a good get, but, I mean, the Orioles gave up to get here. They traded... Jorge Lopez, who has been one of the best young and emergent relievers in baseball, but I'm all for selling high on relievers. And coming back over to the Orioles was a package of four pitching prospects, but really the headliner is Cade Povich here. And I think Povich is a guy that they're buying a bit lower on. I think maybe some people were expecting more of a headliner in that package, but I think Povich is clearly that guy. And there's more value to what teams would look at Povich as than maybe a lot of top prospect rankings. Because again, you would get a large return for Jorge Lopez. And while there may have been uh, maybe not the headlining, well, well, well well-known prospect that some were expecting, I think it's a testament to how highly the Orioles value Cade Povich, somebody that in the 2021 draft was selected in the third round, 98th overall by the Twins. And this is our first chance to really see him in any prolonged amount of innings. The numbers have been pretty good, and I think he's been even better than the numbers may show. Dynamite debut, by the way, as well, in high A for the Orioles, where in that first outing goes six innings, punches out eight, walks nobody, and allows just one hit, no earned run. Spectacular there. But the numbers on the season in high A so far for the 22-year-old lefty, he has a 4-1-5 ERA. He's punched out 115 in 84 and two-thirds innings, walked just 26. Those are all really, really good numbers. And if you look at the ERA being a bit higher over four, yeah, that's not ideal. The FIP is at 3-2-4. I think that's really important to look at because, again, he's not walking a lot of guys. He's not giving up a ton of bombs. Uh, he's throwing strikes. He's mixing it up. He's getting swings and misses. I think the numbers are all going to normalize for the 22-year-old who has legitimately four different pitches that he can attack you with. The fastball sits in the 92 to 94 range, can grab 95 when he needs. And also remember, this is a 6'4 guy as well with more room to fill out. I do think there's more velo in the tank there. Slider is in the low 80s with some late bite to it. It's an above average pitch. Also has a changeup that flashes above average and he'll mix in a curveball as well. That is at least an average pitch. You pair that with command that I think is going to be there and be above average. You've got a really solid middle of the rotation starter potentially here in Cade Povich. And I'm really excited to see how he develops. I know the Orioles haven't been the best in the world at developing arms, but I think it's been more of an identification problem than a development problem because some of their guys have made the leaps and the talented guys have made the leaps, right? Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, those guys are extremely talented and have made the proper steps. Uh, the guys that maybe have not panned out the way we thought, I think it might be more on the scouting side than actually the development side because they didn't do really that great anywhere else and you know kind of floundered out after that. So 
I think Povich is going to do well here. He's a young 22-year-old. He's already starting to get his feet under him in high A, should be in double A by the end of the season, and could be in the big leagues by 2024. Much-needed arm for the Orioles, and I like the four-pitch mix. I like already multiple pitches that look like they can be above average, and also just the command that seems to be getting there as well. Good get by the Orioles here, and a much-needed get, and should be in the big leagues again by 2024. I want to wrap up with a look at Baseball America's Top 100 update and also want to tie that in a little bit with what you can look for in the card market with some of these prospects and you know whether the card market is kind of aligning with what we are seeing uh, in terms of are, are the prices as high as Baseball America is on some of these prospects. I just came from the National Card Convention or I guess it's the National Collectors Convention basically baseball cards everywhere you have vintage you have prospect cards and it was really cool kind of seeing what everybody wanted and what everybody was looking for in the prospect world but let's just start with the one-two punch at the top which is extremely extremely fun and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you know that we've been talking about Gunnar Henderson as a great purchase on eBay because Gunnar Henderson uh, I mean everything he has put together at the plate this year has just been amazing to watch. His swing decisions are spectacular, and this is also somebody that hits the crap out of the ball, can go yard foul pole to foul pole. Now looks like he has staying power at short, and and the bat to ball being better than it ever has, with the power being better than it ever has, and, and, and the approach being so spectacular. I mean, there's so many things to be amped about with somebody like Gunnar Henderson. He's the number one overall prospect for Baseball America, and you know what? I love it. I'm here for it. I think you can go with any of these guys at the top. I think you can go with any of Gunnar Henderson. You could go with Grayson Rodriguez. You could go with Corbin Carroll. You could even justify Francisco Alvarez there. I think any of those dudes could be at the top. I didn't mention who Baseball America has at number two yet, and I'll get there in a second. But uh, to specify on what the prices are, though, of Gunnar Henderson's cards, they are rising like crazy. A raw Bowman Chrome Auto is about $158. That's the most recent sale as of August 7th. That's a lot of money. Uh, but I still think it's a good purchase right now. And I think as people start to see him rise up the rankings, and now he can't rise anymore on Baseball America's rankings, and it'll be Pipeline is going to probably uh, raise him up all the way to the top five range if they haven't already. And that'll be another one where I think as people start to see that more, especially with no paywall, the card market's going to react there. I made all of my Gunnar Henderson purchases before the season, and I'm not selling anytime soon, so I promise you this is not me just trying to uh, bump up the market. I just think he's as safe of an offensive profile as you're going to find. For a team that looks very exciting, he could get called up, honestly, at some point this year, and I think he should. It really just depends on how everything shakes out ABs-wise around the infield and what they're looking at, but I mean, he has not really slowed down whatsoever in AAA. If anything, he's been just as good. 151 WRC plus, 14% walk rate, 23% K rate, nine home runs in 46 games at the AAA level. This guy has 17 home runs and 16 stolen bases. Uh, it's just crazy with a 250 ISO. I mean, this is one of the best all-around hitters. Also can play shortstop now at a high level, left-handed bat. Plenty to like with Gunnar Henderson in a very justifiable position here at number one. Number two, though, Jackson Chorio. We're seeing Jackson Chorio get crazy helium. And that is, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I saw Keith Law on his top 60 update, uh, whatever number he, he ranks. Uh, 
He had Churio in the top five or so. Uh, we've seen MLB Pipeline bump him up a bit, but they're a bit slower as always on those kinds of things. But Churio at two for Baseball America is a very aggressive move that we don't really see often. And I texted Jeff Ponce and I said, you know, and of course, that's one of the lead writers over at Baseball America. And just asked him like, hey, man, you know, I, I love Churio too, but I haven't seen him as much in person. It, you guys really like him above a Corbin Carroll, let's say, who Carroll, by the way, ranks at five. And he said there's just more sevens in regards to the tools. That means like 70 grade. Then Corbin Carroll, who's pretty much all 60s, you know, has a lot of 60s across the board, but doesn't have a single 70. Chorio has multiple 70s. And I said, does that, you know, kind of over override proximity? Corbin Carroll already putting up big numbers in AAA. Jackson Chorio, only 18 years old, so doing phenomenal relative to his age level, but, you know, still has only really hit at the low A level, just got promoted to high A. We'll see how he does there. Like, does, does that matter? And he said the tools are so off the charts for Chorio that he is going to get that number two spot here, and that's why he got the number two spot. So, you know, that was really interesting. And, of course, we'll have Jeff Ponce on again soon to kind of talk about all that, maybe either towards the end of the season or a little bit earlier we'll figure that out. But I think that's really interesting because I'll tell you, we're going to have Jackson Churio up there for us on our top 100 update. No doubt about it. You, you can expect him to be very high, but I don't know if we're going to have him in the top five because I, there's just too much value to me in the proximity side of things, right? I mean, it, it, to be able to prove what you're capable of at, at, against upper level competition, I know it's a little bit unfor unfair to Chorio because what do you want him to do? He just turned 18 and he demolished the pitching he's supposed to demolish, but he's got a pretty aggressive approach. There's definitely some present swing and miss. He is a phenomenal defender in center field, so that really helps the profile. But, like, let's be sure he's closer to a Julio Rodriguez than a Christian Pache before we're ranking him in the top five would be my approach. But, again, Baseball America is really good at what they do, and I respect Jeff as much as any anybody in the world that does this. So, you know, if that's what they believe, it definitely has me sitting back here and thinking – okay, maybe this guy has something extremely special going on here. And I do think he is special, but this is, you know, elite, elite, elite special. If you're putting him all the way at number two this early, that is as bold and loud of a move as you can make. And I think it says a lot from Baseball America, which I think is probably the most calculated out there and will take their time. They're, they're not going to overlook guys like some others, but I think they're going to make sure that a guy is what they think he can be before they're ranking him at number two. I mean, that, that was really, really amazing and surprising to me from uh, Baseball America there. So it says a lot about what they think about this kid and uh, kind of just – uh, an outlier here, which again, there's always outliers. So I love that. And I'm very excited to follow Churio and I'll be doing a little bit more of my own investigation into, uh, you know, what, what everything's looked like and doing a dive into the video. But again, when, when baseball America does something like that, you open your eyes, uh, especially when you have somebody like Jeff Ponce, you know, explaining it uh, from his perspective as well. Uh, you definitely have to take a second look. Given how young he is and toolsy and exciting, I'd, I'd expect uh, his cards to be very expensive very soon. What's interesting is he doesn't have a Bowman Chrome Auto yet. So on eBay right now, you can only find his Bowman Chrome Base cards, which is in the 2022 Bowman Baseball set. Um, and you should scoop him up because regardless, whether he's number two or number 20, uh, which is he's going to be somewhere between there for us, um, 
he's going to be a good card to have. And yes, the autos are going to be what everybody wants, but everybody wants the firsts too. And you can get his Bowman Chrome first for about eight to ten dollars. Uh, but I also would encourage if you're buying Bowman Baseball, just just keep those cards. You can buy Bowman Baseball boxes on eBay, and depending on how much you want to spend, you know you can get guaranteed three autos or guaranteed one auto. Of course, you're not going to get a Churio auto there. But the good news is, even his base card. If you pull four or five of those base cards, that's ten dollars each. You know that's potentially forty fifty dollars on non autographed cards. That's pretty good news uh, for a card like Jackson Churio. And of course, if you get a numbered one, uh, there's been some refractors that I've seen sold for 40, 50 bucks. Um, there's definitely a ton of value there. I'm interested to see what his first autos are going to start going for. But clearly, the card market and the eBay market is already starting to react a little bit uh, to the Jackson Churio hype train. And I'd assume, because I'm recording this within hours of Baseball America releasing their uh, updated list, if Churio's at number two, it's only going to you know throw some gasoline on that fire that is the hype around the 18-year-old in the Brewers organization. Uh, number three is Gabriel Moreno of the Blue Jays. Uh, of course, catching prospect that is one of the best bat-to-ball guys in all the minor leagues, has power that continues to look better. It looks like he took a bit of a step back as of late in the power department, but now seems to be tapping back into that. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez at number four is is no surprise there. That's my number one pitching prospect in baseball, and uh, really, you, you can put him anywhere in the top five. Corbin Carroll, number five. I, I would even probably lean him a little bit higher there, but I think w- w- going back to what the guys at Baseball America said, uh, Carroll doesn't have a 70-grade tool uh, in their eyes, which I, I probably agree with as much as I would hope that the hit tool would have got there. He's given up a little bit of the hit tool. He's still a 55-60 to 60 hit tool guy for power, and now we're seeing him tap into that power. A little bit more swing and miss, but it's no big deal because he's hitting for power and doing everything else. Francisco Alvarez at 6 is interesting. You know, I think I'd, I might have him a bit higher, but again, who are you bumping out here? The only guy that you could really justify bumping out is Chorio. I love what Alvarez is doing already, you know, at the AAA level. is is starting to hit balls just uh, ridiculously far. I don't know if you saw the video the other day. He literally hit one to another planet. But, you know, he has been starting to get his feet under him in AAA. It was a bit of a slower start, some bad batted ball luck, still walking a ton in triple, five home runs in 21 games. He already has 23 homers this year as a catcher. Uh, I think it's hard to justify keeping that guy out of the top five. I know Fangraphs has him at number one. He's still 20 years old by the way. So uh, to do what he's doing in AAA is pretty absurd. Uh, and his cards are going for a ton. Jordan Walker at seven, Yuri Perez at eight, Walker in the Cardinals org, Perez in the Marlins org. Perez hit the IL recently, but it's more precautionary. Uh, I'm hearing that it's nothing to be alarmed about. He was reaching his innings limit anyways. The Marlins kind of want to take it easy with him, uh, but no no reason to really worry about Yuri Perez, who did get roughed up in his last outing and then put on the IL. But again, I'm hearing from multiple people that I really uh, trust within the org that there's not much to worry about there. Diego Cartaya at 9, Anthony Volpe at 10, CJ Abrams 11, Lawler 12, and Meyer 13 is really interesting. And then Ezekiel Tovar 14, Shane Boz 15. I want to highlight a couple more baseball cards because Ezekiel Tovar is an interesting one as well. Tovar is the shortstop prospect in the Colorado Rockies organization. And I mean, this has been a really fun guy to watch. And if you listened to that Jimmy Heron interview, uh, 
outfield prospect in the Rockies organization who played with Tovar in Hartford, which is the double-A affiliate for the Rockies. He said nothing but amazing things about Tovar, and we know what Tovar is capable of on the baseball field, but also just the way he he carries himself. He was saying Tovar was the youngest, if not one of the youngest guys on the team, also was one of the only Spanish-speaking players on a team full of English-speaking players. He said it was rare, uh, Jimmy Heron did, that how many English-speaking players and American players they had on that team, and uh, Tovar really really just handled everything well, being the youngest guy, uh, the guy that had a bit of a language barrier for him, and, and so many things going into it, and he said he was just an awesome teammate, worked his butt off, went about his business like a veteran, even though he just turned 21 years old seven days ago, and the numbers in Double A are just spectacular for Tovar. And remember, yes, he's in the Rockies org. If this was in Albuquerque, I'd say something. But he's doing this in Hartford, which is known as one of the more difficult places, or at least uh, I think it's one of the most difficult places to hit in Double A. At the very least, it's not pitcher friendly. I can promise, or excuse me, at the very least, it's not hitter friendly. I can promise you that. And as a 20-year-old, just turning 21-year-old in Double A, 318. 386, 545 slash line, 13 home runs, 17 stolen bases, 22% K rate, 8.5% walk rate. He also is a gold glove caliber defender at short. Can't emphasize that side of things enough, right? So, I mean, he was a glove first prospect that now is raking for both power and average and getting on base at a decent clip. And his Bowman Grome Auto cards are still pretty darn affordable. His most recent Bowman Chrome Auto sold for about 85 bucks. I'm seeing multiple on eBay selling for ungraded anywhere between $65 to $90. I think more than likely you're going to see more in the $80 range. I mean, that is a great purchase right now. And he was going for even cheaper before. But man, if you can still get what is I what I think is going to be one of the better shortstops in the game in a couple of years for $80 is a Bowman Chrome Auto. And you know the offense is going to tick up at cores. You know that's going to happen with elite defense at short. All the flashy plays, speed, stolen bases factoring in there too. This is an absolute steal on eBay right now. And honestly, I haven't I haven't bought that many Ezekiel Tovar cards. So I, I need to take my own advice here. I'm probably going to scoop some up in the meantime. Uh, again, I always tell you guys, usually I, I give these recommendations out, then I take them. So I wonder how many times I've uh, maybe encouraged somebody to bid against me. <laughs> but jokes aside, I, I do think this is a great card to buy uh, if you are looking to add some other players you know, or some new additions to your hobby, I do think he is a solid one to add, especially when you have the makeup putting him over the top with all the tools that are already so impressive. That'll do it for today's episode. Uh, going to try to definitely get some more player interviews going forward here. Uh, really wanted to kind of focus on the deadline and focus on everything we're putting out at JustBaseball.com, uh, but we will definitely try to get some more interviews back in the fold on the podcast here if you could leave a rating and recommend the show to anybody that you know that is really into the prospect side of things or needs some dynasty baseball fantasy baseball advice or loves card collecting whatever it is if you could help us grow this show by sharing it uh, with your friends who are as fanatical about prospects as we are and as you are presumably i would really appreciate that seeing the numbers uh, continue to rise has been really awesome and i really enjoy doing this and really appreciate you guys tuning in all the time. Again, if you could leave that rating would really help us grow the show. Thank you as always for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.